Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slasher U, a college basketball podcast from Slasher Sports. That's right, everyone. Welcome to the first college basketball podcast of Slasher U. We are one month away, less than one month away, from a tip-off of college basketball. We had a great March Madness last year. We had a fantastic national championship game. That's the farthest we're going to probably get into the recap of last year. So if you want that, head to YouTube, head somewhere else. But we're going to dive into this year because there is so much to talk about. So much to talk about on this on this season. Before we get you started, before the tip-offs finally start, we're going to give you about eight shows in the next four weeks on college basketball to get you prepared. We're going to go through some of the big conferences. We're going to give you some of our favorites in the rest of the conferences, maybe not big names, but a team that deserves. We'll give you our predictions before tip-off starts in the beginning of November of what we think teams that are going to make the, the 68, some of our award winners. Uh, and then maybe some other fun superlatives as well. So it's going to be a very fun preseason here at Slasher U at the College Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Rao, here with Steve Feck. Steve, welcome in. Always great to be with you, Christian. College basketball. Now we're starting to get into my element. That's right. That's and what we, I brought you on here for. Right. I mean, I mean, you put up with me for college football. But but college basketball, now we're starting to get into my wheelhouse. Now, I do need to be indulgent of my Pittsburgh uh, base here. This is my Duquesne Dukes shirt. We're not going to be talking about them, I have a feeling, a whole lot this basketball season. So I want to get them in on the initial college basketball show. Again, they're not in the ACC or the Big East. Thank God. Thank God. Uh, I can only imagine how ugly that would They would be like the Vanderbilt of the ACC or the Big East, oh boy. Uh, you know, uh, if uh, they were in those conferences. But I'm really excited. We're going to have eight great shows for you. It's going to morph into like the opening tournaments, uh, some other just kind of miscellaneous games where you see teams play, you know, Chaminade and all these other, you know, NAIA or Division Two or Division Three schools. Uh, and then we kind of build up through Thanksgiving through the holiday season, then pretty much right after the New Year's, we've got conference play. So make sure you right. stay tuned every week. Every week and soon, once the season starts, we will be coming at you daily on the weekdays. We are going to have a lot of content on the feed and on the YouTube page. So if you haven't already, be sure to like, comment, subscribe at the Slasher U YouTube page. That's the best spot to find this, everyone, is on the YouTube page. We like to get that nice and personalized for you. We break some clips apart on the full shows as well. So if you're looking just for a certain aspect, we got you covered there. So that's the best spot to find us. Right, and, and as any good college media site should, and most of them don't, but should, we're going we're gonna to spend significant amounts of time talking about women's college basketball. Because, right. I mean, in many ways, it is... Okay, maybe it's not quite the same as March Madness on that level, but I think in season women's college basketball, in many cases, in many conferences, is as entertaining, if not more entertaining, than the men's game. Yeah, we're here to break those biases, definitely, and we're going to do our support as well. So you're going to hear not only just men's basketball in this podcast. This is a college basketball podcast. That is how we cover that. That is how it will be covered. And that means we cover both men's and women's. You talked about your roots before we start off. Might as well get mine out of the way. Uh, my roots, I grew up in Western New York. Now, with that being said, I know you're Atlantic 10 guy my, as well. So am I. Mm -hmm. I. I grew up loving the St. Bonaventure Bonnies. 
they're going to have a rough year, I think, this year, too. We get to the Atlantic 10. Maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we won't. I don't know. They're on the bubble of the bubble right now. So we'll see what happens <laughs> there. And then, um, obviously, I transplanted out after joining the military. And I went and got my degree in Norfolk, Virginia at Old Dominion. So the Monarchs have near and dear my heart right now in the Sun Belt Fun Belt. So we'll have a lot of fun talking about those teams as well. We cover the little guy as well on the show. It's not just the ACC and Big East like we're going to cover today. We do cover the little guy all the way down to some of those schools that in the 360s that you may not have heard about in years past. We're going to cover them here on the show. We've got plenty of time to do so. Right. And give you an idea. Last year, everybody was, oh, the St. Peter's Peacocks. Not only was I walking to games as a kid, as a six, seven, eight year old kid to go watch them play, you know, uh, when they weren't playing over across the river in the garden. I was probably the only person in the country, including the St. Peter's coach, that had the Peacocks going to the Final Four. Now, they only made it to the eight. So, again, we're paying attention to all of the schools. So people that are looking at the Metro Atlantic, you know, what conference is that? Never heard of them. I don't know what half these schools are. That's where some of the best college basketball stories come from, both on the women and the men's side. So uh, it's not going to just be, you know, Big Monday and all the major conferences. We, we are going to dig into these schools that you need to pay attention come tournament time so that when you're filling out your bracket and you're talking with your buddies, you could say, hey, you know, this Tulane team or whatever school it might be, they're going to really surprise people in the tournament. They'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then when you're out there winning the bracket because you've got those teams out further. You can send us we'll, – we'll, we'll be fair. We only want 10% of your winnings in your pool. Yeah, consider us the Warren Buffett cheat code. Okay, yes, that's, exactly. That's yes. what we are. And <laughs> and Steve, for those those walks to those St. Peter's games, it was uphill both ways, right? Well, luckily, it's, it's pretty flat. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, All right, let's – <laughs> Let's dig into it. We got a lot to talk about. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for indulging in our nice entertainment here. You're going to get a whole bunch of that going back and forth uh, throughout this podcast. Again, we're really excited for this venture. College football is fun. If you've heard us on the, on the show on Slasher U, but I mean, college basketball is really what's going to get us um, getting us throughout the rest of the year. And let's start off with the ACC. I am really excited to talk about the ACC as someone who grew up in the Northeast now lives in the Southeast. I mean, it's for me, it's like going from the tip to the other tip of this conference. I grew up watching the Syracuse Orangemen, Yeah. Really liking them, that team really, you know, watching, enjoying them. And then now, you know, the, the North Carolina Duke rivalry. Uh, I think that my, my brother is a huge Duke fan. So when I grew up in, in high school, I bought a North Carolina Tar Heels fan or Tar Heels hat just because. So, and I mean, growing up in Western New York, you didn't really know that. I knew that just enough that it pissed my brother off. So I did that. So he's still a Duke fan. So you'll probably hear me still talk a little bit of uh, crap about Duke, but I'm actually really impressed at that team this year. So maybe you'll hear some love. Who knows? Regardless, the ACC championship game did not go as planned last year. Virginia Tech took care (laughs) of of Duke last year in uh, in an interesting fashion. It was a, it was a pretty interesting conference to say the least. A lot of a lot of big teams in this conference. A lot of interesting teams. Honestly, I would say out of the fourteen teams here, you could really make a strong strong opinion 
that nine or 10 of them could really be a front runner for this conference. What do you think, Steve? I, I, I had nine written down. I, I know most publications and, and most things you look at, I think they, they give them either six or seven uh, tournament bids coming up you know, as they're trying to project out. And of course, it, it'll be wrong. But I mean, it, it's still fun at this time of the year to kind of guess what that field of 68 is going to be. Uh, they have probably the most exciting player in, in the country. And to, to Quavy and Smith at North Carolina State. And North Carolina State might just be a middle of the conference team. I mean, they're certainly worthy of consideration because they have Smith. He could single-handedly get them into the NCAA tournament. But that's the nice thing about the ACC. It's It lengthens the discussion when you have a conference like the ACC. There are teams that we know are going to struggle pit Georgia Tech, Clemson, um, I think Boston College is going to struggle. I think Syracuse needs to retool. But still, even knowing that you've got those teams that would kind of, they'll be like bottom feeders for the top echelon. There are, like you said, nine or 10 teams that every week you've got to look at the schedule and say, well, gee, who's Wake Forest playing this week? Or where is Louisville on the road this week? Or are they home? And then, and then you have to take a look at it and say, okay, well, now how is that going to affect where these teams are going to ultimately slot going first into the ACC tournament? And then you always have at least one, if not two great upsets in the ACC tournament. And that directly impacts the NCAA brackets. So you had a team like Virginia last year, for example, that had a disappointing 21-win season and, and, and got bounced in the NIT they were a tournament caliber team. They just didn't finish strong and they didn't have a good ACC tournament. So this is the kind of league where it's not going to just be a handful or half a handful of teams that you really need to pay attention to. It's every week, every game, once conference play starts, something is going to happen. That's going to ultimately impact what we look at in March. Absolutely. I mean, we saw, Coach K, we're going to talk about that in just a second. He lost his last two against North Carolina. We know that's going to sting for a long time. We saw in the ACC championship uh, tournament that Virginia Tech, who won it all, almost lost in the middle rounds to Clemson. Uh, they won on a last-second shot. So anything can happen in this conference. I think this is one of those conferences that you got to pay a very close attention to. I think this is one of the best conferences in all of basketball, if not the best. Uh, I think that deserves the argument 100%. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you a quick preview of the ACC. We're not going to get in all 14 teams because that would take a long time. Throughout the season on the YouTube page, we will dig into some of the other teams and give you some qu quick recaps and stuff. But for the podcast, for the ACC preview, we're going to dig into what we call the first four, and then we're going to give you our sleeper to round out our starting five. So we're going to break down five teams that we think can really make a difference in the ACC and maybe throughout the NCAA tournament and maybe a possible national championship bid or at least the final four. We're going to give you our thoughts on that. We don't, I don't know if we'll go that far into it, but we're going to really dig in to the preview. And the first one I feel like we got to start off with Steve is a team that made the final four last year. And that's North Carolina Tar Heels. I mean, there's a debate that this is not just the number one team in the ACC. This is the number one team in the country. You know, they bring back some of the, some of their best players, especially one of the best big men in the country and Armando Bacot. Uh, I mean, he's, 
He was leading the team last year with 16 points per game, 13 rebounds per game. He was a very good player last year, set an NCAA record, but six double doubles in the NCAA tournament. He decided to not enter the NBA draft, come back for one more year. That is a huge advantage for the Tar Heels. He's joined by a pretty decent backcourt duo in Love and Davis. I really like what the Tar Heels got going for him this year. I think that we can see um, a, a step up with the Tar Heels, which is something that is that actually possible. Yeah, I do think so. That's the case. What's your thoughts on the North Carolina Tar Heels? North Carolina is one of those programs that everybody works harder to find fault with than they do pointing out how a good, what a great program that it is. They're not flashy. You know, they, they don't, they do everything well, but it's so seamless and they're so well coached that it's like, well, well, I don't. What, what what are you seeing in North Carolina that that we're not that we analytics geeks aren't seeing, you know, in this team? I'll add a Pup Johnson to the to, to the backcourt discussion. Each of their guards do something special. I don't want to say unique, but they each have their roles. I love me some Caleb Love. He is one of the best guards in the country. Again, is he going to be a guy that's going to be first? You know. You know, first ACC, maybe not. But, you know, you take him out of the equation if he gets hurt or, you know, pulls a hamstring or sprains an ankle and he's not around, it's going to change how this North Carolina Carolina team operates. I mean, you talked about, you know, Bacot. He's going to dominate on the boards. The great thing about North Carolina, and this is pretty much their story almost all of the time, Depth overcomes at your injuries. Depth overcomes a, t- an, a tough early start in the first half of a ball game. Depth answers the questions come March. And that's why people have North Carolina as the number one team in the country, you know, in many, many rankings. I can't say that I agree. I have a, a team that we'll talk about um, a little bit later on in this preview that I honestly think is the best team in the country. And it's not in the ACC. It, it, it is in the Big East. But uh, North Carolina, okay, there, you, you can take ink and put them in the Final Four. It's not pencil them in. A, a lot of things have to go wrong uh, and more from an injury standpoint. I mean, they're going to gel. They got off to a bad start last year by North Carolina standards. I don't think that's going to happen this year. Everything – as the season went on, they gelled and they really, I think, found themselves in the NCAA tournament last year. And that's going to carry over. I mean, momentum does carry over in college basketball where it does not in most other collegiate sports. Basketball, you have a late season rush or a late season uh, improvement that does carry over when those players come back. So I, North Carolina don't sleep on them. I mean, and if you do shame on you, North Carolina was 29 and 10 last year. Um, to me, that was incredible. Uh, I think that's something they really got to pay attention to second year for Hubert Davis. I think that's another thing to look into. Obviously had a fantastic first year as coach after Roy Williams, big shoes to fill for the Tar Heels, something that really worked out for the Tar Heels in the last few decades, Roy Williams, after uh, their spin 
uh, after, you know, th there was there was a few mix ups before Roy Williams came in. So there was obviously some skepticism on how Davis would do. He did a fantastic job. Yes. Is he going to do that again this year? Do you see that changing? Do you see him improving? Uh, I know you talk about maybe sophomore slumps with players. Is that a thing with coaches? What's your thoughts on that one before we move on? I guess you could say that coaches, you know, after the the honeymoon, after that first year, things kind of get more stressed and you know, and you notice you nitpick wait a minute, I didn't notice that, you know, he did this or, you know, why does he slurp his soup or whatever? I mean, there's all those things you see after the honeymoon. Hubert Davis could walk into any locker room, whether it be at the collegiate level or at the professional level, and command the room the minute he walks through the door. So even if he makes questionable decisions or you know early in the year i think there's going to be some tinkering as far as combinations and how they want to do things and maybe they lose a game they shouldn't to a non-conference team i mean it happens Huber davis the acc is a conference where coaches matter okay mike krzyzewski roy Wimp, Huber davis uh steve forbes at wake forest leonard hamilton at florida state you can go pretty much all the way through the ACC and the coach matters. Even on the weaker teams, the coach has the respect of his players and the coach matters. So I think uh, to try to dismiss, again, I think it's something that people more nitpick about. And I mean, and you and I read many of the same articles. I think they're just trying to find a way to knock North Carolina down. It's sort of like to use a baseball analogy, people want to knock down the Dodgers or the Yankees or, or, or at the professional level, they, they don't want the Lakers to be good. They want to find fault with the Lakers or uh, the Celtics. You know, they just want to pick apart teams that year in, year out, pretty much get the job done. So I think if you're worried about Hubert Davis, you, uh, probably should start some medicines because you really don't need to be worried about that. You talked that coaches are very important in this conference. And we just said goodbye to probably the best coach that has ever coached the game of basketball at any level. And that's coach K for the Duke blue devils. He goes 42 years and decides to hang it up. Um, how selfish, right? But uh, now, now he has longtime assistant, John Shire taking the reins. This seems like a very good selection. Now, we know that there has been some conversations in the past that maybe he would hang it up early when he had some surgeries. I know even at one time, Coach K said he was going to resign, um, but the university said, no, that's not going to happen. This was inevitable. We knew this was happening. John Shire is going to be the, the first shot at it post-Coach K. I'm sure that they're hoping that they can get 42 years out of this guy as well. I've seen him in press conferences. He speaks well. He seems confident. You could tell initially he was a little scared, but he's he's uh, he's figuring it out. He's exposing himself a little more to some questions that you wouldn't see Coach K do, but I think that just comes to experience. I wouldn't hold that against him, but I'm actually really excited to see how he does. I, I think that's going to be a, run, a fun storyline to talk about all season. We're not going to be the only podcast or any show that talks about John Shire all year. Looking at this Blue Devils team, though, this isn't the only thing that's changing as the coach. This entire team is changing. This is the new aspect with Duke. We've seen this in year in and year out with this new one and done rule. Duke has took that wholeheartedly and ran with it. They have bought in on the one in and one outs or one year, one done, and, and, and they run away with it. 
but it worked for him last year, 32 and seven in the entire league in conference. They're 16 and four. It worked. They got the ACC championship. They got to uh, pretty far in the, in the NCAA tournament. It works. Now you look at this team, they're predicted to be either first or second in the ACC and make a pretty decent run in the NCAA tournament with the only returning starter in Jeremy Roach, who will be their captain, by the way, seems like a fantastic guy. But when you only have one returning starter and a whole bunch of freshmen, then don't get me wrong. The number one overall freshman prospect, number two overall freshman prospect coming in and Derek Lively. And you got Kyle Flapowski and yeah, Derek, um, man, just lost Derek's last name. Oh, Whitehead. There you go. Derek Whitehead. I mean, you have some very good players coming in but none of them are proven. It's a huge risk that Duke's taken. So in the past, it's worked. But every year, you have to ask the question, will it work again? Well, it, I think it's ideal to work in this situation because there's now you're eliminating any question, well, Coach K used this guy in this role, and he thought this guy was better coming off the bench than being a starter. It, it, it's a brand new beginning for Duke. They're not going to like go into a rebuild mode and be at the bottom of the ACC. That's probably never, ever, ever going to happen again. Shire is coming in. These are his guys for the most part. He was heavily involved in the recruiting over the last couple of seasons so it's it's a perfect time to have a roster turnover. And when you can have a guy like Derek Lively, who basically, he's the ultimate teammate. You know, I mean, he's a taller version of Grant Hill, I would say, from how everybody's described him. Wonderful teammate, smart, good on-court presence, just ridiculous athletic prowess. You add him to Roach, you add him to some of the other guys. The guy that Duke fans should take a look at is the guy that transferred in from Harvard. And Kale Katches, that guy can shoot. He is going to answer a lot of questions as we get deeper into the season. Who's going to be there to hit the big shot? He is the guy. Uh, I'm a a huge Ivy League uh, fan and follower. He is special. I I didn't understand, other than the education, why he was in the Ivy League. Going to a school with the academic reputation of Duke, okay, it makes a sense to go into the transfer portal and go ahead and do that. Uh, Duke will be fine. It's like like anything. Are there going to be blips? Of course there are. And when, when you're following a legend, it doesn't matter. I mean, Roy Williams went through that, you know, have, having to, to you know follow legends both at Kansas and in North Carolina. It happens. I mean, you, you just have to eventually get over. We'll give you one year, Duke fans and college basketball fans, to get over Mike Krzyzewski because his legacy is forever. It's not just while he was coaching. And it is interesting to note, okay, Shire's 34, Krzyzewski was 33 when he came from Army to take over Duke. And people had the same kind of questions. Well, you know, it, it's, a, it's a completely new roster. And, you know, how is he going to be able to c- compete? And this is an Army, uh, you know. 
Krzyzewski anointed him just like Knight anointed Krzyzewski as being the next big thing in, as far as a college basketball coach is. And I think both Knight's you know, uh, prediction was correct. Krzyzewski was probably the greatest college basketball coach in my lifetime. And I've been around a long time, but I remember John Wooden. I mean, I vividly remember those UCLA teams. Krzyzewski was a, a better coach and better, I, I, not a better person, but his impact was was just, it's immeasurable in college basketball. Shiro will be fine. Krzyzewski knows this is the guy that can come into that institution. And remember, even with the one and dones, to a degree, it plays to Duke's favor because their academic standards are so stringent. If a player is a borderline academic admission at Duke, maybe one year and he would be forced to go on academic probation or whatever it would be. So it does play for him that way. But I, I think overall, Duke, it's it's not really going to miss a beat. It's going to be a it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. But at the end of the day, in March, Duke is going to be there. One thing to keep in mind, Shire is taking over a 32-7 and team. When Coach K took over, he came from Army with a losing record that year. Army who had a losing record. I know many people were upset that uh, Coach K was coming to Coach Duke after having a losing record for West Point. Well, that worked out pretty well for them. All right, let's talk about the next one on our first four, number three here, and that's the Miami Hurricanes. I think they had probably one of the biggest turnarounds in college basketball last year. They had a fantastic trio. Really, only one of those are coming back, and that's Isaiah Wong. He had 15 points per game last year, and he had 10 points, or I'm sorry, 10 games where he had at least 20 or more. I really like Wong in this situation. I also like, and you're going to hear me say this a lot, I, I follow the Sun Belt quite closely, but you're getting one of the best transfers from the Sun Belt. You're getting the Sun Belt Player of the Year from last year, Norchet O'Meara from Arkansas State. Miami, what I like about this team is that they're not afraid to tell you that they're going to go out and look at the different rosters from the ACC, and they're going to see how they can match up against you. And then they're going to decide what kind of basketball they're going to play. They said that all last season. It worked out for them. They turned their team around. They're not afraid to do that again. They're going to see what kind of roster they have. They're going to line it up against the rest of the teams in the ACC, and then they're going to decide, are they going to stretch you out? Are they going to play you down low? This team is dynamic, and that is something that you can't say about some of these other teams we just mentioned. I think that they have a very unique skill set that is going to make them be one of those scary teams all the way up through March, maybe April. Steve, that's how far I really like this Miami Hurricanes team. A lot to be excited about on this one. Overrated. Oh, all right. Overrated. So there's our first disagree. Okay. 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 And then you might want to take your headphones off when I say this. <laughs> all right. Okay. Go ahead. Give it to me. Norchard Ormian is going to learn very early on that the ACC is not the Sun Belt. In a one or two game bracket in a tournament, perhaps you can shine and show what you got. In the ACC, a much more rugged conference, uh, a much more competitive conference, night in, night out. You're you're gonna, unless you're coming to Pittsburgh or Georgia Tech, you you, you really do have to put your max effort in every single night. I I don't think that his 
potential is going to come out at Miami. Miami, year in, year out, struggles with consistent play in the front court. That's why that's a very important addition through the transfer portal. But, I mean, Miami eventually, and, and they talk a good game. Oh, you know, well, we're going to beat you at your own game. But they really don't have the depth, and their front court gets pushed around in big games. So uh, is Miami a, a tournament team? I think they're a bubble team. I mean, odds are they probably will make the NCAA tournament, especially if they do okay in the ACC tournament. But uh, I don't see what everybody else is seeing here in Miami. They will probably, they could quite possibly shut me up come January and February. But I have a pretty good feeling, just like on my baseball podcast adventures, I always hold back that I told you so until the end of the year and then play that card and sit smugly and say, told you so. I think that's going to be the case of Miami. Do, do they have enough talent? Do they have the talent to be really, really good and surprise us again? Yeah, but I, I, I don't think that they are better than some of the other teams we're going to still talk about here in the ACC. And I think at best they're a bubble team. All right. Well, there's the first one I got to write down to uh, to see what you have for I told you so's. All right, cool. We've, I'm glad we don't agree on everything because that would make a very boring show. That'd make a very boring show. So I, I'm, I'm a lot higher on Miami than you are. We just determined that one. Good to hear. Um, it seems like we're pretty much in the same pace with uh, UNC and Duke, though. It's really hard not to be. All right, yeah. here we go. Uh, with our final first four here, the number four team, that we're going to talk about in the ACC today is UVA, the Cavaliers, Tony Bennett, one of the most interesting coaches. I mean, you were talking about the coaches that mean a lot in the conference. I know you didn't mean to forget his name, but he's one that really needs to be talked about. Tony Bennett at the helm has really changed this team and has turned this team into a top-notch championship caliber basketball team year in and year out. Now, the last few years haven't been exactly the UVA basketball that we've seen in years past. It went in winning wise, but they've still produced some top notch defense. They have been one of the best defenses in the ACC year in and year out. The problem is, Steve, is even though they're doing great on defensive, they can't score. They're having a hard time scoring the basketball. They are returning five starters this year, and they brought in a really nice transfer from Ohio, actually, a guard that beat them in the March Madness back in 2020. So um, pretty, uh, 2000, yeah, 2020. So um, really interesting on that one. That was a really cool interview listening to Tony Bennett talk about bringing him in and saying practices are pretty fun. Every time he misses a shot, he says, how come he couldn't do that against us in the NCAA tournament? <laughs> so uh, pretty neat, but you know, getting the fifth year starter guard, uh, Kai Clark. Um, that's obviously where this team wraps around is, is through Clark. And if Clark can find a way to get this team to score more, and they don't have to score by a lot because their defense is shut down. They have to just win ball games. 12 and 8 in the conference was pretty impressive, though. When you look at that, uh, based on the, the rest of the conference and how they sat, they did sit uh, six in the conference. Not terrible. Not terrible at all. I like UVA. Are you going to clap your hands and tell me these guys are overrated, too? Because I'm, uh, I'm pretty high on these guys as well. 
No, in fact, when we were talking about who we were going to put in here, I was very insistent that UVA has to be part of the equation. You touched on two of the things. I didn't leave Bennett out. I was saving him Fair. for when, for when we were talking about the Cavaliers. He, he, he makes adjustments as well um, in-game and at halftime as any coach in the country, let alone the ACC. Uh, Clark, you know, he's, he's, he's gutsy. He's a veteran. He knows how to get the ball to the players that are going to score. And you talked about Vanderplas from Ohio. I'm so high on that kid that I almost wore my Ohio Bobcat shirt and not my Duquesne Duke shirt here for our initial podcast, because that's how much of a difference maker I think that, that he can be, and he can play defense. All of these guys that potentially are going to improve their scoring with another year under their belt and with, and just, you know, as they mature, it's, and they play good defense that, that you can add that to every single player on the, on the Cavalier roster. I don't think that there's a bad defender unless you had to take some, a coach off the bench and put him in due to injury or illness or something. I mean, it's always, and they play great defense and that makes so much of a difference in today's NCAA, because so many teams play good enough defense to win, but they don't focus and they they don't take pride in the effort on the defensive end of the game. And I think that's what makes Virginia uh, dangerous. Now they went to the NIT last year, right? They they didn't make the NCAA field. Is that am I, am I correct on that or? That's right. And this is where I get to plug in my roots here. Okay. And they lost to St. Bonaventure. I, <laughs> I was setting the alley-oop. In the semifinals, though. Yes, it was, uh, it was uh, a good uh, game. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, oh yeah. No, absolutely. T- it, I think people, I, I'm trying to find a way to say this without talking down to the analytics crowd and without talking down to people that like to see the flashy part. And all that is great. And it's fun when you're watching a game in December or January and seeing all these alley-oops and all these stars behind the back and, you know, people drilling, you know, six or seven threes in a row. That's all exciting. It's all about, as Herm Edwards used to famously say, you have to win. You play to win the game. You have to win the game. And that's what Virginia does perhaps better than anyone in the conference because they have to pay attention to every small detail to keep pace with the North Carolinas and the Dukes and you know any of the high octane teams, uh, North Carolina state who probably will not be a tournament team, but you know, they've got, you know, that transcendent talent, Virginia for an old school basketball fan like myself those are the teams I love to watch. They play their game and yes. they make their opponent play their game. And that's why they did so well, even with maybe a roster that wasn't as talented as some of the others in the ACC last year. Now they bring most of them back another year under their belt. They're going to be more experienced. You'd assume that that talent's only going up, not down. They brought in a great transfer from Ohio. I like this team. If they can find a way to improve their shooting percentage just a little bit and obviously continue their top-notch defense, 
this team is not going to be 12 and eight in the conference. This is a 14, 15 win team in the conference. That's how I feel about this team um, when it comes to that. All right, let's talk about our sleeper team in the ACC. And Steve, I'm gonna let you start off with this one as I know that uh, you are, you're dying to talk about this team because uh, you had to make sure these, these got in here. Well, yet Notre Dame, now that Mike Krzyzewski is gone, Mike Bray is the best coach in the ACC. And that is a mouthful because as we've talked about this, this entire preview, coaching matters in this conference. And the teams that don't have the coaches to connect with their players and get the most and get the best out of their players, they don't succeed. Mike Bray somehow, some way, finds a way to not only tap into what each player can contribute, but somehow weave it in to, you know, a, a tapestry that ultimately looks good as it goes up into the Raptors. That's the kind of coach that Mike Bray is. That's the kind of team that Notre Dame is. Notre Dame can beat you if they put their mind to it defensively. They can beat you trying to score. They can beat you in the half court. They, thanks to their coach and the players buying into the system, and he recruits specific kind of players. That's why Notre Dame always has to be in the conversation in the ACC. Notre Dame is one of those teams that are very interesting to pay attention to because you can look at these, these players and this team in several different ways. And I think this is why it makes them a really good sleeper. Now, obviously they were 15 and five last year in the conference. That was good enough for tied for second um, you know, with, with UNC. So, I mean, they were great last year. However, they did lose arguably two of their best players, break Wesley, Paul Atkinson's junior. Yeah. But, then you look on the flip side, they return five seniors and four of them are super seniors, you know? So they are one of the oldest teams in the country. That means they have a lot of experience on the Virginia side. They're obviously nowhere this type of play like Virginia. But when you look at that experience and you look at what they can do and what they did last year, it's hard to not put them into the conversation. Because although they did lose Wesley, and that is a huge blow. Let's put, let's put that up. That killer. Is, that killer. Is killer. Yeah, that is something that we need to keep in mind here, that this team is not the same team, even though they are bringing back a decent amount of their squad. Wesley was a huge asset of why they went 24-11 and 11 last year and 15-5 and in the conference. But, yes, they do deserve to be in credit here. This is why they're a great, great category for the sleeper to start off this ACC preview. Because – in our minds right now, that means that they could be the fifth place team, fourth place team. They could really make a run in the ACC. Yeah, they're the kind of team that can win the tournament because, again, they buy in to what their coach is preaching and selling. They did bring in a secret weapon. Once again, bragging on my Metro Atlantic conference, Marcus Hammond. From Niagara, he's a he's a taller version of Calvin Murphy, and a lot a lot of you younger kids don't probably even know who Calvin Murphy is. He may have been outside of maybe Louis Dampier, who played in the ABA with the Kentucky Colonels, the best, the purest shooter 
I have ever seen. Hammond is a taller version because Calvin Murphy was like five. I think he listed at five, nine. I think he was like five, 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 six. Hammond, six, three. He can shoot it from anywhere. I mean, I keep, I kept expecting him at Niagara to pull up at the half court line just because he could and drill a three. I mean, it's better that he got closer to drill the three, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he pulled up at the half court line because he saw something, drilled the three, and then got the team back on defense. He is going to, be the secret weapon for Notre Dame because when they need a big bucket, Hammond's going to be able to deliver it. He, he's not Blake Wesley. There aren't many players in the ACC that are Blake Wesley, but Hammond is going to make a huge difference in Notre Dame. And that's why I was so insistent on saying there are sleeper and there were other choices. Uh, you mentioned Virginia Tech. Uh, I think Wake Forest, I think Steve Forbes has really put together a nice roster. But I think Notre Dame, of all of the teams that I just mentioned, is the team that, yes, he, they're the sleeper. I think they could win the ACC tournament. That Just the way they're constructed, if everything comes together as uh, Bray expects it to, I think they win the ACC tournament. Really? It wouldn't be anything that you'd be like, wow, like shocked about. We saw Virginia Tech win it last year. And just like you said, other teams that would deserve this, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, I agree. Florida State most definitely would, would be in this mm-hmm. in this run here. Just because we didn't talk about them doesn't mean we don't think highly of them. You know, we're keeping this pretty short here, trying to get as many previews as we can to you. If you are one of those fans, hit us up in the comments. Let us know. We want to hear a preview on this team if we didn't touch your ACC or if you are a fan of a team we touched and you want us to cover them even more, let us know in the comments and we'll make sure that we get you a in-depth one-on-one um, team preview on our YouTube. Big East preview. This is a fun conference. Now, we don't get to talk Big East in football because there isn't one, right? When we're talking about half of these teams, we haven't talked about th- these schools at all because they're not football teams. And some of them are FCS schools. Really, I think the only one I'm looking at right now that might even that is a – uh, division one FBS school is UConn and we know how well that's working out for them in football, <laughs> right? So, but when you look at them in basketball, Hey, in college football, a lot of basketball schools are doing well this year. Unfortunately, UConn is just not one of them. Okay. <laughs> but when you look at the big East, we had as a, a great big East last season, we saw some, some great surprises. We saw some very exciting ways of how it ended. I'm going to let you take over real quick. Your thoughts of the Big East before we dig into our first four and our sleeper. Okay, well, I, when you're talking about the Big East, it's the big Catholic conference. I mean, ultimately, it's it's the Catholic schools. And that is what built college basketball was, you know, the Jesuits and the Franciscans and the various orders pouring money into basketball teams because they couldn't afford to build a football stadium and for travel costs – but they could have little gyms and they could bring in the best of the local players because their moms and their grandparents insisted that the kids go to the local Catholic university and not the big university out of state. That's what the big East in essence was. You can't call it the big Vatican or the, or the big Catholic. So the big East made sense because it was predominantly the, you know, the Northeast corridor a little bit down into the middle Atlantic States now the conference has changed as all conferences have changed. 
But the Big East, there's a reason they're still featured every week on ESPN. Yeah, I mean, they, they make it a point. Their, their fan bases are rabid. Probably, and this is almost sacrilegious to say, probably more rabid than even the fan bases of the ACC. And when you think college basketball, you think the ACC. Ultimately, that is the the gold standard in college basketball is the ACC. I think the Big East schools have developed an even more passionate, more, uh, dare I say, loyal fan base, because I think even the bad teams in the Big East, they still turn out big crowds. You don't have off nights. You don't have to move games on campus. You can still play them at some of the bigger arenas in the bigger cities that the Big East is built around. The Big East is going to be interesting to follow because probably more than any other conference, they've had more coaching changes. We talked about a lot of them, you know, you know, already, but they've had more coaching changes than just about any conference that, that I've been able to take a look at, you know, real in depth. I mean, I haven't done the deep dive into the smaller conferences yet. We'll be getting there, but the big East is, um, always going to be a factor and the thing with the biggies for better or worse they always will have more favor with the selection committee because of the brand of basketball they play and it's by far well i shouldn't say by far because the big tens as a physical conference too but they they, you don't want to play biggies teams in non-conference games even the lower echelon biggies teams are physical and tough and you come out of the game and you're not hurt, but you're banged up and you're drained. So the big East, uh, I'm so glad we're talking about it in the first show. I'm a Northeastern guy. I grew up in New Jersey. It, It wasn't a big deal to hop on a train to get to the garden, to go to see the various tournaments. The big East will always hold a special place in my heart because the big East got done what Joe Paterno couldn't get done in football. They brought all these Eastern powers together. Well, Joe Paterno was too busy about making Penn State look good. But that's, right. that's, a, that's a different show. That's yeah, a different show. That's right. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to let you pick the first team here on our first four for the Big East to get started. Uh, so go ahead. Tell me why you think Georgetown is going to win the Big East. Uh, it, it is not <laughs> the Georgetown Hoyas. No, again, okay, hang on first, real quick before I get started, let me just cut you off. Will they at least win a conference game this year in Georgetown? They were 0 19 last year. I mean, they improved, right? They they improved. They got to win at least one. Uh, I I think they'll win a couple. Okay, all right. Because the very top has sort of come toward the middle, so I think there's more opportunity. There it is. I shouldn't say the very top because the best team in the Big East even though they're not an Eastern school, are the Blue Jays of Creighton. Most polls have them somewhere between four and six or seven. We talked about North Carolina probably being the presumed number one team in the country to start the season. I could make some pretty strong arguments that Creighton is the best team in the country. Top to bottom, starting five to bench, they are the best team in the country, and nobody is going to have want to have them in their draw come tournament time. 
I'm with you on that. I think Creighton is the team to beat in the Big East. I think they are a legit top 10 team to start off the season. And I mean, that's, you know how it goes with the beginning of the year where you put a team one through 10. It doesn't really matter after the first couple of weeks, but they're a legit top 10 team. You know, you could put them top five if you really wanted to. I'm, I'm really, I would, wouldn't bat a single eye. 23 and 12 record last year, 12 and seven in the Big East. They made it to the Big East championship game, lost to Villanova, but it really felt like they had so many issues, so many setbacks, so many obstacles in their way of injuries. And, uh, and really, they had a young squad last year and they still found a way to be successful. Now, they lost two starters last year, uh, but they still have, I think, a great team. And they have a lot of, when you look at who is, who is on the team, you know, you got Duke transfer guard, Alex O'Connell, you got Ryan Hawkins, who should be approved. I think that this team is going to be the best team in the big East. And that's not coming lightly because I think that there is, and we talked about it in the ACC, there were nine or 10 teams that can compete. I think there are five teams that can compete in the big East. And that's, that's saying something in this conference, because I think there is a, I think there is a gap in the tiers in this conference compared to maybe some of the other big name conferences. But when you look at that top tier, the tippy top, Creighton is on that for me. And remember their, their floor general, Ryan, I think it's Nemhard, how you pronounce his name. He broke his wrist at the beginning of February. He missed the rest of the season and they still had a great big East tournament run. They, you know, they, they still, in the postseason did very, very well. We alluded to in our college football podcast this week, South Dakota state, they have a, a, a big transfer from South Dakota state. People keep saying he's the new Larry bird. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but watching him play at South Dakota state, he's the reason that South Dakota state pulled off some pretty big wins against some pretty good probe. And last year, he is going to be the difference maker. I mean, he's six seven, so he you know so he can can play the, on the front line. He's a decent rebounder, but he can shoot from anywhere. Yeah, he's going to be a great wing. Yeah, Baylor Shireman, that's his name. Yeah, and he's going he's going to be a fantastic wing for this team. I think something that they weren't necessarily missing, but could definitely have had improved from last year. And, and you're right about Nemar. They had the injury last year that hurt him. But even though with his injury, him and Trey Alexander both really exceeded expectations in the backcourt for this team. Again, Creighton is going to be one of those teams that we really got to watch out and pay attention to. I think that they're going to benefit on maybe some of these coaching changes because Greg McDermott is top-notch coach. If we were putting him in another conference, we would still put him as one of the top notches in the conference. I know oh, we talked how yeah, big it was absolutely. in the ACC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now that Jay Wright's out in Villanova – you would have maybe have to hand the reins to maybe the best coach in Big East, uh, Greg McDermott. They have a tough front line as well, so they they're a balanced team. They learned a lot from their late season run. The biggest, the toughest thing for them is now they are the hunted. They're not the team that everybody thinks, well, boy, that guy's pretty good. That was a pretty good win. Everybody's going to be gunning for them in the Big East and in any uh, non-conference games. 
they know how good Creighton is. They know how well coached they are. So it'll be interesting to see how they react to that in the early going of the Big East. I could see them losing a game that perhaps on paper you would think, well, boy, how did they lose to Seton Hall? Or how did they lose, you know, to, well, they won't lose to Georgetown, but I'm just using them as an example. How did they lose to Georgetown? But then come the end of the year, that's going to pay huge dividends for them come tournament time, both Big East tournament and NCAA tournament. And I think they're going to be a number one seed. I honestly, that's how high I am on Creighton. I think they have all of the pieces. If everything comes together and that experience brings out the next level on players like, like Kaluma, for example, I think they sounds like I've been coaching a game here already. I'm so excited about talking about, about college basketball. Um, I think they're, they're going to be a number one seed and they're going to be a nightmare for anybody they play. If any team, I think, in the Big East will give them a run for their money, it's the defending Big East champions, the Villanova Wildcats. Obviously, another big question, another big shoes to fill. We talked about it with the ACC preview at Duke. This is probably the second biggest shoes to fill in a college coaching vacancy. Jay Wright out after 21 seasons with Villanova. In steps Kyle Neptune, longtime assistant under Jay Wright. Heads over to Fordham last year to take – some head coaching duties. It sounded like he was getting a little bit of uh, confidence himself, a little more experience on, on himself, comes on back to take over the Wildcats. There's a really interesting stat that was on the CBS basketball podcast. that talked about in like the last 100 years, there's only like three Villanova coaches. They love to get long-term coaches. So I'm sure they're doing exactly what they want to do with Neptune. They want to keep him around for a very long time. They feel like they probably groomed him based on being Wright's assistants for a long time. If anyone is going to shock Creighton, it's Villanova. I know that they uh, are probably going to take a little bit of a step back because Neptune is, is building up his team again, but they still have a lot of good things to be excited for, Steve. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, Neptune, again, we do, you know, we follow the A-10. Fordham was a tough game for everybody in that con. Even if it was only for a half, he's a good coach. He, he knows how to bring the best out in players. Brandon Slater is your typical Villanova star player in that he gets incrementally, but noticeably be better every year. And especially with his shooting accuracy, that's absolutely the case, and that is going to help Villanova uh, withstand some of the uh, deluges that might come from other more flashy offensive teams. He's going to be able to come back when things are looking a little bit tight, pull up, hit the three-pointer, hit hit the key jumper, calm everything back down. Okay, good. Okay, okay. We, we just, it was an 8-0 run, 10-0 run. Okay, we're back in it. We're back in control now. He's that kind of player. Justin Moore, senior guard, again, he's going to be a calming influence. He's been there through the good times under Jay Wright and at Villanova. He can say, look, get in a huddle and say, guys, it's okay. Let's go back to what we know that we do. Let's not try to get into a run and gun game with these guys. No, 
they might they have the talent that they could get get away with it against some teams. Let's play our game, play some tough defense. You know, get get our get our uh, noses dirty, get our noses bloodied if we have to. That's Villanova basketball in a lot in a lot of ways. A lot of talent on this team. I don't think going from right to Neptune is going to be as big of a shock to the players in that locker room now. It'll be interesting as to see what happens recruiting down the road, but we're not talking about recruiting down the road now. We're talking about what's going to happen in the 22-23 season. And as you said, Villanova, they're not going to be, you know, five games behind uh, Creighton in the Big East standings. They're a good basketball team. Uh, but I think they're going to have to be satisfied with being the second best team in the Big East and then take their chances come NCAA tournament time. The Justin Moore injury does concern me a little bit. Him, you know, him tearing his Achilles in the Elite Eight. He's going to miss some chunk of the season at the beginning. When he comes back, obviously, that's going to be great because he is the second best player on that team behind Slater. Look to see Mark Armstrong step into that guard role. He's a true freshman. So mm-hmm. honestly, decides to see what, okay, what's going to happen there. But when you look at, the schedule in November and December for Villanova, they do play Michigan state. They do play Iowa state. They do see teams like uh, at the, at the end of the year in December, they do start hitting in conference play St. John's Yukon Marquette, not the top dogs. And we say Yukon's in that mix, but not the top dogs. So you hope that they can get the job done in the majority of those games. If you can come back by the beginning of the year, especially in February, when they really start getting down the stretch and they do see Creighton, you know, February 4th is the game against Creighton in Creighton. And it's going to be, that's when they're really going to need Justin Moore. But initially that does concern me. They're going to have to find a way to win ball games without him. If they can, then they are going to be able to compete with Creighton down the stretch. If they can't, and I could easily see them stepping back. And unfortunately, maybe we would see them five or six games behind Creighton because I don't see Creighton slowing down anytime soon. No. And then apparently Justin Moore has already been told, I don't care how good you feel. I don't care how hard you rehab. You're not coming back before January 1st. Right. He's and already been told that. And I think Moore's already kind of bought into that. And Achilles injury is so yeah, tricky that, like you said, maybe it is February before he comes back or later in January. But if, if you look at their schedule and you can pencil in more playing even significant minutes, not necessarily, you know, starting five minutes, but significant minutes in those early games, I think Villanova is going to be able to take a deep breath and say, okay, we're going to be okay. We're not where we need to be yet, but we're going to be okay. So uh, Villanova, it'll be weird not seeing Jay Wright, you know, on the sidelines, but as far as in games, I don't know how much would be missed by having Neptune uh, leading this team. And I think again, the incremental improvement that these teams always seem to show is what is going to make Villanova special again in 22, 23. Probably the biggest game that Justin Moore would miss would be at the end of December, and that is at UConn. So let's go ahead and let's talk about UConn because that is a team on our list. The UConn Huskies, they have, to me, I mean, one of the 
craziest big guys in all of college basketball, Adama Sandango. Uh, and I mean, this guy is unreal. One of the best big guys last year. You can only, you can only imagine what he's going to put up this season. You know, when you look at UConn last season, they went 13 and six in the conference, 23 and 10 uh, overall. That's about where I see them this year. I see them about exactly right there. Uh, I can see them as the third or fourth team in the Big East. I can, I mean, they could battle for the Big East lead. Don't get me wrong, but I, to me, the ceiling is is runner up. What about you? Oh no, I agree. And a lot of people will look at Connecticut and say, "Oh my God, they lost four guys through the transfer portal. Four pretty important guys on there." But when you look at who their coach is and Dan Hurley, he's a no nonsense. Look, you know, I don't care how talented you are. You're going to play our system. If you're not going to play our system, then you need to go. And I think from that standpoint, Hurley knows that he needs to get guys to play, you know, I don't want, I don't want to call it a four corners offense, but in essence, it kind of is. And then do everything they can to get the ball into Sonago, but still be able to keep teams honest by being able to hit the threes. And I think the players that were, that transferred out had maybe a higher opinion of what their value was to a college basketball team than what Dan Hurley saw and what Dan Hurley knew he needed to have in place to, to capitalize on the, on this, the immense talent that Tanago has. And, and you, you touched on it. He's the sky is the limit. I don't think we really know what he's going to do. I, I, we really don't know how high that ceiling is. We know what the floor is, and that floor is better than half the front court people in the Big East for sure, and probably more than half in the country. So uh, UConn is going to go as far as Sanago can get them. They're going to have to f- be more consistent on the perimeter to make real noise in the big east but i mean they're they're definitely uh, i think you doing that that five cutoff for the big east i think that's fair there could be some surprises but i think there's a lot of teams that need to restock and under new coaches they will do that over the next year or two but for right now uconn is in that upper echelon of the big east and will they make it to the 16 i can see them making it to the 16 yeah I could definitely see UConn making it that far. I wouldn't rule it out whatsoever. They have a pretty easy November to start off until they get to the Phil Knight Invitational where they take on Oregon. If they win that, they could see Villanova early. So that's something to keep in mind. Didn't really think of that when we were talking about Villanova. What I'm interested about UConn other than um, Sinago is their guards. Both of them come in transfers, one from East Carolina, one from Virginia Tech. How will Hurley deal with those guards? I'm I'm interested in that one. I think that is something that is not going to be an easy task, you know, to get them all on the same page right away. Hopefully they had a good offseason, a good preseason, and, and get them stepping. Now, it's not like they came from FCS schools. Newton came from East Carolina, and Allen came from Virginia Tech. So it's not like they're going to be missing any of the competition. They know what they're getting themselves into. So that's probably the biggest question mark that I will have initially when we're looking at them playing Stonehill and Boston U and UB, you know, to start off their season pretty easy. I want to see their their guard play mesh. 
And but I I think again those Hurley those are the kind of players he wants to bring in to this program. And um, I vaguely remember the kid from Virginia Tech. I, I can't say that I could break down a specific game or part of his game, but he seemed to, I know he made contributions to their, uh, to their ACC tournament uh, success. So I, and I think his shot, I, th- I think of all of the guys that, that are going to be there, he might be the best pure shooter that UConn can count on that they have on their roster as far, I mean, as, far as an outside threat. I'm not talking about the beast of the East, you know, inside I'm talking about an outside shot. So, you know, Dan Hurley is, he's a different generation. You know, he's not as crazy as he's kind of crazy, <laughs> you know, and his players are going to play his way. And I think for a team like UConn, who still hasn't gotten to the upper echelon of basketball teams, again, that means that it's been a program build. They've had some flash of successes and then slid down. I think Hurley's going to get them to the point where every year you know exactly what they're going to be. So uh, UConn, is, is going to be interesting. UConn's going to be one of those teams that, that they might say, well, maybe they're on the bubble. Yeah, but they're probably going to get in. And even if they're in one of those stupid playoff play-in games where you shouldn't have higher seeds being a play-in game, but that's another show, uh, they, they can cause some problems in any bracket. I'm with you. All right, let's finish off our first four here, and we're going with Xavier. And I think this could be a controversial pick with the Xavier Musketeers, especially what we have seen with them the last two seasons. They start off hot, and then they find a way to miss the NCAA tournament. In 2020-21 to 21 season, they started the season 11-2 and two, and then had 13-8 and eight at the rest of the year and missed the tournament. Last year, they started off 14-3, and three, Steve. You go into Selection Sunday, 18-13. and 13. Well, that was good enough to fire their coach, Travis Steele. Comes back, Sean Miller. So here we go. Sean Miller returned. Um, as the head coach after leading Xavier from 2004 to 2009. Is this going to be one of those nice reunions, one of those happy-to-be-backs? Are we going to see Xavier reborn in this Big East? I, I have a lot of hope for the Xavier team. I like their transfer in Suli Bone from UTEP. I think that is someone that can really step up and help them out in the backcourt. 18 points a game last year in UTEP. I think that's the perfect kind of transfer you need when you're bringing a guy like Sean Miller back to really try and jumpstart this team back to where they were. Again, they start off strong, so it shows that the skill is there. But something happens in the late stretch and the last few seasons that's really hurt them. And unfortunately, that's when conference play happens. So that just shows right there that lately they haven't been able to stick up against their conference. So they're going to be able to do that this season. I think they will. I I think this is going to be a happy reunion. Say what you will about Sean Miller and the controversies at Arizona. Best case scenario, he had an inkling of what was going on and just sort of didn't dig into it the way he should have. Uh, Maybe it comes out ultimately that he had a lot more to do with it than um, has been proven so far. But he, he he gets to the NCAA tournament. He gets the best out of every team he coaches. 
I don't know that Arizona had the most talent in the back Pac-12 every year. Had, had great players at times, but I don't know if they had the best talent. They competed for conference titles. They went to the tournament. What he did at Xavier was magical. It, 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 seriously, especially, you know, the first couple of years that they got to the tournament. Uh, I think players like to play for him. The, you know, they have, he has Colby Jones who, he looks like an NBA player and he could flat out shoot. Good piece. Zach Fremantle, one of those big kind of guys where you look at him and like, it's, is he, is he really good? He doesn't look athletic or doesn't look this. He gets, look at the end of the game. He's got the numbers to prove he's a good college basketball player. So I think Miller has the pieces here that he can keep Xavier near the top and he can take advantage of some of the teams that have slipped a bit or that are at the bottom of the conference. And he can kind of pad the resume that way. I had meant to look at their out of conference schedule this year, because I think that's the other issue. They're playing cupcakes for the most part, or unless they're invited to a tournament, they're playing cupcakes. I didn't look at their schedule this year, but I, it would, in this case, new coach, some new pieces. It's going to help them build that chemistry and feel comfortable with the system that Miller is going to bring so that when it comes to conference time, uh, they're not going to have that dramatic fall off and slide back and that they're, they're going to be able to, to finish near the top and quite possibly get to an NCAA tournament berth. Yeah, I think a bid is exactly what they need to be shooting for this year. Maybe not the top of the Big East, but a bid. Looking at that, they were invited to some tournaments. They're going to be in the Gavit tip-off games. They're going to host Indiana uh, on the 18th of November, and then they're also in the Phil Knight Legacy Tournament, and they're going to take oh, on wow. Florida okay. in the first round. What I'm excited about is the beginning of December for their non-conference plays. They're going to be a part of the Big East Big 12 battle. They're taking on West Virginia. I think that's going to be a fun one. And then, of course, the Skyline Chili Crosstown Shootout. Okay, got to don't forget about that. Xavier versus Cincinnati. That'll be a good game. So the first two games of December should really by by December 10th, December 11th, once that game's over between Xavier and Cincy, we should get a good idea of what they look like before they start digging into conference play. And it looks like they start off against Georgetown this year on the 16th of December. All right, let's get into our sleeper. It's not Georgetown. Sorry, even though we talked about them at the beginning of the show. Again, I do think Georgetown's going to get at least one conference win. All right. Got to, I'm not trying to make them a joke, but, you know, Patrick Ewan, you, you got to, we got to do something here. All right. So, all right. Providence Friars, that is the sleeper team for us. And again, I think we are, I think we're throwing controversy around in this Big East preview, Steve, because Providence won the Big East, at least at the end of the season. Before the tournament started, they led the Big East. It was a dream season for for Providence, though. They had everything went their way, 27 and 6, 14 and 3 in Big East play. They were at 82% win percentage in the Big East. A lot of really interesting things went down for them. They got some transfers coming in as well. This team was last year a fluke of a season, or just like everything was perfect, cloud nine. I don't think they can make it happen again. Or as you and I might think, because we got them as a sleeper team, they could really show that they could do it all over again. 
this is a conversation. If we pulled every podcast for the last 25 years that talked about Providence and the Big East, the same kind of things you pointed out, well, they were lucky or they just went on a good run or everything came together for them. But almost every year they seem to be in the tournament and even going to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. That's by design. Okay, it's not divine providence, but it, you know, it's it, it's by design that providence at the end of every year is good. Another school that has tradition of bringing in one or two of three players, having supplemental players fill out the rosters and complement and play off the strengths of those big talents. And then at the end of the year, everybody says, how did we lose to them? Providence is the reason that analytics cannot be part of college basketball discussions because every analytics geek is going to say Providence is lucky. Providence plays above its talent. No, it doesn't. It plays with its talent to its talents. And Providence is going to be a a player in the Big East as long as there's a Big East. I'm with you. I mean, they started their season 21 and two last year. They wound up going 27 and six at the end of it. But the biggest thing, they went 16 and one at home last year. They know how to protect their home court. And I think they call it, they used to call it the dunk. I think they're calling it the amp now. I mean, the the atmosphere there. Like if, if you were going to talk about amazing atmospheres in college basketball, mm-hmm. I don't think Providence would come to your mind, but it's one of those oh, ones. For me, it would, yeah. Well, that's good. But I don't think it's one that the majority of people would pay attention to, but it's one you should. It's one you definitely should. And you're right. They find a way to make it to the second weekend. They lost in the Sweet 16 this year. But you know who they lost to? They lost to Kansas. Kansas, Kansas won the whole damn thing. So I like Providence. I think these this team is a is an easy sleeper for me. These are the five teams of the Big East that I think could, with the exception of Creighton, because I think Creighton is in its own category, its own right now. I think the other four could be in second, third, fourth, or fifth. And no matter what you look at it, and I would be completely understandable with it. Wouldn't bat one eye if we saw a team like Villanova fall the fifth for a year. And it'd be like, okay, well, that's what happens with a first-year coach, maybe. And we see Providence go up to second. We, I could totally see that happening. Any of the teams we just talked about, I, they have a chance to win the Big East. I just don't think it's going to be anybody but Creighton. Oh, no, absolutely. And that's the fun part about these previews is that you know we're able to kind of try to take – we're trying to project out what we think is going to happen based on history. But with a team like Providence, it's easier because their history is they defy the odds, they defy the projections – and they end up in the tournament virtually every year. If not the NCAA, then they're in the NIT. And that's what makes following teams like Providence. And that's a road trip that maybe we need to make at some point during the history of this podcast that we do. It is an unbelievable fan experience. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And that's something we definitely should do. We should get on the road with this thing. All right. Some of the schools, before we get you out of here, that could have deserved the sleeper spot in the Big East. Marquette could have deserved it. Obviously, Seton Hall. I know we're going to hear about that one. Seton Hall could have definitely deserved that slot. 
And you could even give St. John's a, a run for their money as a possible sleeper in this conference. I think that's about it, though. I'm not too high on Butler this year. A lot to do. And then DePaul and Georgetown are in their category. They're on battling for the basement. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Seton Hall, it was hard for me. I had to step outside of my fandom. I mean, and I will apologize in advance on this first preview. You're going to hear me talk a lot about New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia schools. It's, it's what I grew up on. I still follow those teams. Even if they're irrelevant, I still follow those teams. That's why I love Duquesne because I remember seeing them in the garden when the NIT was the bigger tournament and not the NCAAs. So I apologize in advance for that. It was hard for me not to push for Seton Hall, but I have to be realistic. Holloway's a great coach. It was not a fluke that St. Peter's got to the eight, but they graduated a lot of players. They need to retool a little bit. And he's the perfect guy to do that retooling, bringing in the right kind of player. So Seton Hall, if, if this is a down year by Seton Hall standards, they're going to be at the top of our preview for next season. Absolutely. And we have you talking about them when we preview the Big East for the championship once we get down to uh, down the March. If we didn't talk about your team or we didn't talk about them enough in this Big East preview, give us a comment. Let us know. You want to hear more about that squad and our, our, your thoughts on any kind of content when it comes to college basketball. We're going to come at you next episode with the big preview. We're going to hit you with the Big Ten and the Big 12. We're going to hit you with both those conferences because that is going to be a lot of fun. Same kind of format. We're going to give you our first four and a sleeper for each of those conferences. We'll be hitting that on the podcast feed early next week. Until then, thank you so much for joining our first episode of the Slasher U College Basketball Podcast of its edition. So thank you so much. Please, if you like this, if you enjoy the college basketball uh, content that Steve and I are giving you, please like, comment, and, and share. Hit that bell button so you can... If you're over on YouTube so you can see when a new content comes out, we release new college content daily on the Slasher U, U, Slasher U YouTube page. Look at that. That's a mouthful. <laughs> um, so we could definitely we definitely give you anything you, you're looking for. If you're interested, if you want us to start talking about a team that you follow that we're not covering, shout us out. We're not afraid yeah, to please. dig into something. We want to we wanna be here for you. Again, we are not afraid to cover the little guy. You want to get some some proof on that check out our college football content but until then thank you so much we'll be back here again with another episode of the slasher you college basketball podcast take care